BYUSN, Jackson Robinson, remember the name. He's been BYU super sub this season, but should he continue to come off the bench or should he be a starter? And BYU football offensive lineman Connor Pay announces he's coming back for one more season. We'll discuss how that impacts BYU's offense and the role the coaching change on the offensive line had in his decision. Plus, Blaine Fowler looks at a talented and increasingly crowded men's hoops rotation and his portal priorities for Cougar football. And today's Deep Blue features former golfer Anik Hutchkovich and a relationship with her late father. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Happy Friday, everyone. This is how we do it. December 15th, I am Spencer Linton, teamed up alongside Jerem Jordan. You know what? We got some uh, new collectibles uh, coming to us uh, from one of our good friends and followers, Mark Wilcox. Yes, uh, and we're appreciative of all gifts. Um, what we don't want is the bibs, though. <laughs> okay, so is this the biggest uniform downgrade of all time? CFB Home tweeted, uh, BYU 98 to 99. So the answer is yes. Um, those were terrible. I do have an issue, though, with saying 98 to 99 and then posting a photo from 1991. Uh, against San Diego State. Show the 98 uniforms That's, if you're going to do it truly 98 to 99. Yes, because uh, if you say 91 to 99, that, that works. That was, that was a crazy memorable game, right? The 52-52 game? Absolutely. That, and the 98 uniforms yeah. have the drop shadow involved as well. So are you, are you a fan of the drop shadow? Not really. Um, if we brought it back for one game, great. I'm not like a okay. huge fan of it. Like so you, you are, I know you love it. I, lo I love, I love it because it. I mean, it screams Steve Sarkeesian in '96. To me, that is probably why there's such an emotional tie there because that '96 team, one of the greatest of all time at BYU, had the drop shadow. Yeah. So I want it back for one game, but yeah, if you're really gonna do like, hey, don't go to the bibs, um, and don't go 98 to 99, like you have to show the drop shadow uniform to truly compare against the bibs. I think the bibs are illegal now. You like can't. They, they you, don't. They don't qualify. That's not enough white. <laughs> That's not enough dark if you're the home team, which is funny. People forget this in football. In every sport, the home team wears white, except football, it feels like. Dark is the home team. Yes. It's weird, right? Yeah. I don't know why. There's now, there's now coordination, right? In, I mean, sometimes you can – it doesn't have to be like a strict rule. Like you are – you wear Both lights. Both teams have to agree. I don't know who like – There's like an agreement. I don't know. Does the home team sort of dictate that? I don't, know, I don't know how that works. I would assume the home team makes the request and then they see like if – Does the league dictate will, it? Will accommodate. <laughs> Do you want to play petty and vindictive? Be like, no, we're not wearing those uniforms. When BYU and Utah play, they both wear dark. In all sports. All blue, all red. And yes. it looks dynamite. It does. It looks and BYU's dynamite. Royal specifically in those matchups. All right. Not Navy. We're in neutral black today, so all rise and shout. Let's get to what's trending. They slammed up. He's got three. Three. 26 points, which is a new career high for Robinson. What's trending? As always, loaded on a Friday. We've got tons to talk about basketball, football. We're going to start with BYU men's basketball. The 18th ranked Cougars off to a red hot 9-1 start. The metrics are off the charts good. Number three in net. They're a top 10 team in Ken Palm. And of course, trying to climb back into the top 15 in the AP poll. If they play well, they just might do that after the weekend. And a big part of that has been Jackson Robinson, who strangely and almost weirdly has yet to start a game for BYU, even though he's BYU's leading scorer. 
But just maybe there's something to that, this sixth man power. So, Jerem, should Jackson Robinson, based on how he's played through the first 10 games, continue to come off the bench, or should he move into the starting lineup? This is a thing for a lot of fans. They, they, they ask the question almost every game. What do you think? We talked about it in the postgame show. Um, I don't think it really matters, honestly. It's great to have a sixth man who comes in and uh, produces and you know makes eight threes. Are you kidding me? Um, it's part of a bench that's second in the country at 40 and a half points per game. That's BYU is doing a lot of great things. That might be the best thing BYU does is their bench scoring is unbelievable. And it's, uh, you know, just a little under half the points that BYU is getting. That's awesome. He's playing starter minutes. He's fourth in minutes at 23.8. Could that be 25 or 27? Sure. It's not hard to increase that too much. He's finishing games. That matters more than starting games. BYU is deep, man. And when they get Dawson Baker and Foose back, you're running 11 deep. You can't realistically run 11 deep, by the way. Uh, once you get into conference play, I'm thinking BYU is running 8 or 9 deep. If it's crazy, and it's Mark Pope ran 10 deep when he played for Kentucky, but they were pressing all the time, so you're getting tired, you want more bodies. So we'll see what this looks like, but I don't really care whether he starts or not. It's going really well. I don't think you need to change it. What At 9-1, and one, why would BYU change what they're doing in this moment? This season, there will be changes. Uh, you evolve. Things happen. Other injuries happen. Other ineptitude happens. Then you make tweaks, blah, blah, blah. You don't need to take anybody out of the starting lineup right now. What Jackson Robinson is doing is great. If his ego can handle not coming or coming off the bench and not starting, great. Not everyone can, and we've seen that recently. That is hard for some people. But if Jackson Robinson can handle it, awesome, because it's going well. Yes. Guess what? Yes. Jonathan Giovanni is tw- tweets about him last night. He's getting NBA buzz. Sixth man, being the best sixth man is better than being an average starter. Yes. And, and so, for Jackson Robinson's brand right now, I think it's great. I think that there is almost a unique power and there's a tweet. to being this bench all-star, coming off the bench to, to automatically go off and hit some big shots. And I also think it's beneficial for some guys to be able to sit on the bench and see how an opponent is going to play defense. And then they can be kind, kind of begin to pick their spots. Like, they can assess all right, uh, I'm looking at what this defense is doing, and I think that I'm going to be able to get my shots here. And certainly Jax is doing that. He has said as much. Like, he has that opportunity to watch the first few minutes and get a feel, and then he's like, hey, I get implemented, and I can kind of go in, and I can find my place and where I can impact the game. So I think that there's almost this unique power, and, and it's almost like his own starting lineup. Everybody's like, oh, Jackson Robinson's so good. When's he going to come into the game? Like, it's, it's an overrated thing for me to put Jackson Robinson into the starting lineup. Who cares? He's playing starter minutes. He's taking the most shots of anybody on the team. Does it matter? If, to me, it's like a, such an overrated aspect of college basketball in general. Well, who's in your starting five? Like, it's, a, it's like an ego thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, who's the best player in the, a given situation whenever the, they are in this certain portion of the game? Like, are, are you like impacting the game whenever you're on the floor. If you are, great. Who cares if you start the game? It would only matter if BYU started slow and lost more than the Utah game. If BYU gets into Big 12 play and they start slow and they start losing, then it would make sense to move Jackson Robinson into the starting lineup. But that's not the case here. BYU's only lost one game, and it's because they started slow. Yes. That whole first half, frankly. Uh, early into the second half, you're down 16. It's just too big of a hole to get out of. 
Rudy Williams was effective off the bench last year. We've seen this last year at BYU. Sometimes uh, it's good to be uh, Jordan Clarkson off the bench, and you're the sixth. Like, you need that firepower. Right now it's going well. You're 9-1. and one. You do not need yes. to change anything. And, in fact, we talked with Jimmer Fredette after uh, the game on Wednesday about this very fact. Here's what Jimmer said. I think at this point, like we talked about, you let it flow as of right now because things are working. Uh, he's comfortable coming off the bench. He knows exactly what he needs to do when he comes off the bench. He's there to score. But at a point in time, there may be a game where, you know, game or two where things slide, whatever happens during the Big 12, it's just, it's the it's the Big 12. You're going to have some games that are difficult. It'll be interesting at that point to see, all right, now I need to switch up this starting lineup. Let's put in some more firepower. Let's get someone else off of the bench that can still bring in some firepower. So it'll be interesting to see, but right now things are good, so let's keep it. J.K., Jim Fredette from yesterday on the no, show. No, if and when the lull happens, to Jimmer's point, then you can start to really consider a change. That's what I'm saying. You have to lose to change this. Like, you don't need to change to change right now. Like, why? Why, why so, would you change something some, right now? Sometimes in my house, we'll just move the furniture around just to, like, mix it up. But that's because we're getting bored with the look. I'm not bored with the look of 9 there's, there's a lull. I'm not bored with the NIT or uh, net number three. I'm not bored with up to six in Kempom. I'm ecstatic. So keep it. Yes. Again, I think that there is almost like an additional spotlight on Jackson Robinson because he is the sixth man. In it's fact, a fair question, though, to ask. Sure, and that's why, and we're, that's why, a, we're, that's why we're asking. Because yeah. a lot of fans are continuing to ask this. He's getting peppered by BYU fans after the game. Hey, like you're scoring so well. Like You're shooting so well. Like, why, why, aren't, why aren't you starting? Why aren't you starting? So Jackson is taking these questions from fans yeah. on the floor. Sure. It doesn't matter. It's a good question because he's playing so great. You, you got to ask the question. Trevin Nell has missed his last nine threes in the last two games. It and does not matter to me. And he's still shooting 38% for the season from the three-point line. It does not matter to me. It does not matter. I, I'm ecstatic about how BYU's playing right now. Obviously, the schedule gets a lot tougher coming up here in the next couple of weeks. But Saturday, you play Georgia State. Is Dawson Baker in the lineup? Like, is he, in, is he coming off the bench and playing? When does Foose get back? We, we anticipate the next couple of weeks. Um, and then you're into Big 12 play, man, and you need your best every night. There's no, there's no like, well, we can dork around tonight with whatever. No, no, no. You have to play very well and overcome a lot of adversity to win in that league, and every win is precious. Yes. Guess what? John Rothstein is not tweeting the best sixth man in college basketball is Jackson Robinson if Jackson Robinson is indeed not the sixth man. That would be weird if he did, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that He's tweet like, happens. Trevinell is the best sixth man. Well, he started. There's what are you talking about? an additional spotlight there. I sure. like it. It's unique for Jackson. He's been so yeah. good. So ride it out, and then if and when the lull happens, then consider making a change. He will start at some point this year. Mark my words. Right. Like, it will happen. He will not go the whole year with zero starts. I think he will start at some point. It just isn't right now. Heaven forbid it's not injury-driven right or something like that. Crap happens. It's sports. Topic two. Center Connor Pay announced he's returning for another season. Yes! As much yesterday, went on Locked On Cougars podcast, which you catch with some very open comments about the O-line this past season. Here are three of them. Oof. Some quality changes have been made, and some toxicity is now gone, and I think it's a clean slate and a change for everyone to hone in and be the best group we can be later. Development is just something that hasn't been happening over the past three seasons, Whoa. so we are a little bit behind on that. And we're, these are without context. You can go watch it and get the full context. I think that a lot, uh, a lot of that stems from a lack of standard being held, kind of efforts from me and a couple of others trying to set that standard, being upended a little bit, and us getting in trouble for trying to set a standard because we cared so much about people's feelings. Ooh. And that made it hard. It really did. These are very open comments. What do you make of this? 
Uh, first of all, there's, there are buzz phrases and buzzwords there, right? Number one is toxicity. That's never a good thing when you hear from your core player in that room, like the old reliable Connor Pay. If he's using the word toxicity to explain the offensive line room, that's a huge alarm for me. Like we all kind of, I mean, we supposed um, and, and we were making, you know, judgments based on what we saw on the field, but BYU does a good job of kind of like trying to like play it down and, you know, keep things quiet. But like now, now everybody does when things are going well. No one talks when things are going it's well. It's like, aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yes, clearly <laughs> yeah. there was something yeah. really, really negative happening there. Apparently so. Okay. And then, and then the other buzz phrase for me is like hurting people's feelings. Like Connor is an accountability dude. He wanted more accountability. He doesn't care about hurting people's no. feelings. He wants to produce. Like, how? It's football. Like, how can, we, how can we be worried about hurting people's feelings? Like, the standpoint of coaches to players is, like, whether it's delivered in an angry way or not, the coaches aren't doing what they're doing for anything else than they want you to be better. Like, if, like when you, as a player, accept that mindset, like, it, something went off in my head in high school, because I used to have a hard time with, you know, coaches, not just at me, but at my teammates and whatever, who you know, would curse and yell. And I'm like, what the heck, man? Why, why, why that approach? But then it was explained to me by one of those coaches, I do it because I care so much and because it comes from a, just a pure, genuine want for you to be better. And at that point, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I totally get it. So these Let's are- Let's not act like that's not happening here. These are way. college men. Like, are, are we really worried about hurting people's feelings in an offensive line room? So I appreciate that Connor was, was super open about this. And again, it- it offers some light and clarity to what we all kind of supposed was happening. Now we know it was happening. And uh, unfortunately, those statements are an indictment on the former offensive line coach, Daryl Funk. Yeah, Con- Connor made it pretty open that he was like, we needed a change. He, he, he specifically the said time was good the last three seasons, which just so happened to be the three seasons that Coach Funk was here. And so this is not to say that Coach Funk didn't do some good things and, and help sure. guys. like, But – it is what it is. BYU's offensive line was supposed to be a world-beating group last year. They significantly underperformed. Connor Pace said as much, and I appreciate the honesty. Everybody's stock went down, including Kingsley's. Like, he'll still be drafted, but he was getting first Connor round wanted to go. Connor, like, this, if, if this BYU all, was good enough, he would have gone. He probably would have gone. Yeah. And, and now he's a guy that is you know, ready to go try and make his NFL dream come true. But he said things change fast. Things happen fast. He yeah. feels like he needs one more year now because it was so bad last year. It couldn't get worse. Right, so that's why essentially he said, if we have the same season or a little worse, like it's not going to kill my stock. It's just going to be the same thing. Unfortunately, the way that BYU played this year, that move was probably made a year too late. In hindsight, easy to say that now, probably, but let's say it out loud. Is if BYU had made a different move after last year, granted, last year's numbers were pretty good. It was hard to make that change given how BYU performed, but. Obviously, there were issues internally that come out in this conversation from Connor Pay's perspective. Development not happening. That's tough. If B- and guys left, right? If BYU had made this change in, uh, last year, perhaps they get to a bowl game. I think they run the ball better and they win one more game. So that's tough. I'm not pinning the entire season on that. I'm just saying. Sure. If we look at that part, obviously, was the biggest issue of the offense. The defense, at the beginning of the season at least, the first six to eight games, was putting you in position to win more games than not. A couple of those, no, right? But, like, offensively, if BYU would have been able to run the ball a little better, 
They win one more game, get to a bowl game, and it changes the narrative yes. around the season. So BYU's made this change, and in comes reportedly T.J. Woods, waiting on the official stuff. We expect that to be next week after Georgia Southern's uh, bowl game. And then we go from there, and Connor's excited about T.J. Woods. He couldn't talk specifically on that, but it's obviously he is excited yes. about that. Connor is, as I mentioned yesterday, the most underappreciated BYU football player on the roster right now. He, and, and I know he's frustrated, but Connor was pretty good all season long. Like, he, he did his part and, and was the steady Eddie. You know, I hate to use an oft-used cliche, but, like, that's kind of what Connor was. So, so glad he's back. Uh, I think he's a valuable, valuable piece, and I'm excited to see what he can do yeah. with some new energy. Waylon, Caleb returning, and so we'll what see. What the heck? Players well, can't hold each other accountable? We're worried about feelings? Like, it's kind of – it is kind of weird. It's like, wait, what? And, like, coaches are saying, like, hey, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. What? Like, I want players to hold each other accountable. If you're, The coach should lead out in that, and then the players should do that with themselves as well. But if you cannot do that, you cannot improve. That's how it works in a given yes. group. Hey, I respect Our group included. Everybody, I, yes. come on. I respect the comments from Connor. Our question of the day, back to BYU basketball. We're speaking about Jackson Robinson, and this idea of him not starting as being some type of slight to him. So does it matter if Jackson Robinson starts for BYU? You heard our opinions. We don't think it matters. No. He's playing starter minutes. He's taking the most shots. He's been awesome. Most shots by 39, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> At Jarrett underscore Webster on X answers, nope, doesn't matter who starts. It matters who finishes. Amen. Dude is only playing like a minute less than the minutes leader. It's, the minutes leader, Spencer Johnson, It's yeah? one Point three okay. minutes less. <laughs> Having Jackson come off the bench creates some great rotations where scoring flow can flow no matter who is on the court. It's important to have a good bench for BYU because, like, BYU starters are good, but they don't line up with Kansas, Baylor, Houston. But you know what BYU's bench will do? Line up with Kansas, Baylor, Houston's bench Yeah. the way that they're producing. I, I'm excited about Like, that's where you can sort of cut into the deficit if you're down or add to the lead a little bit. BYU's bench is one of its superpowers right now. It's awesome. Paul Hatch on Instagram says, I'd like to see him start. I think it would have made a difference in the Utah game. In hindsight, yes, of course. But BYU was 8-0 going into it. Why would you suddenly make Does Jackson starting game? take away the fact that Utah and Gabe Madsen come out and are just red hot hitting ridiculously tough three-pointers? Like, does, does that – does it impact it that much? I, 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 don't I see what you're saying, but in hindsight, yes, of course, it might have, but I don't know why you would disrupt what was working already. You were 8-0 you were and crushing it. Yes. And guess what? BYU lost that game by four. They played terribly and barely lost. They had the ball down Moral two. victory. Like, no, I'm just saying, had BYU played a little bit better, you make one more three a little early. They had a, a game-winning shot opportunity in spite of everything that did go wrong. Yeah. I would have loved to see a shot go up. Yeah, set up for sure. But that, that's tough. Next, next time it will. I don't know. I mean, Jackson's great, but there are five guys on the floor. I don't know if he slows down that Utah start all by his, himself. No. Hashtag BYUSN on X, Facebook, and Instagram to join the conversation. Next game for 9-1 hoops. Going for win number 10. Go. There's number 18, BYU taking on Georgia State, who's 4-5. Just lost to Mercer last week. They've been off for like a week. 8 Eastern time, we got you on pregame for BYU TV and BYU Radio. Up next, we chat with Blaine Fowler about BYU's loaded rotation in basketball, Jackson Robinson's role, and the transfer portal priorities for BYU football. This mm. is BYU Sports Nation. So smooth on that lamp.
A little basketball and football on a Friday. This is BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day -day BYU Sports play-by-play -play. alongside Jerem Jordan. I am Spencer Linton. We're showing you both of those sports in that highlight video because the dual-threat analyst, Blaine Fowler, is ready to roll to discuss, yeah, some BYU basketball and some transfer portal priorities as well. Blaine, welcome back to BYUSN. How are you on this Friday? Good, guys. It's a... It's a Friday, and we got a doubleheader tomorrow. I have a doubleheader. Spencer, you've got a doubleheader tomorrow. Go. Let's go. We're calling so women's we, basketball, and then we're going to follow it up a little I'm, men's basketball. I'm just doing one game. Yeah. I don't know what you guys are doing. Yeah, Jeremy's got a singleheader, but Spencer and I are calling the women's game, and then Spencer and I are on, both on the men's game as well. So we got a great Saturday in front of us tomorrow that I'm pumped about. All right, we're looking forward to it. Let's start with basketball, Blaine, and the question of the day for us is, Looking at Jackson Robinson and what he's been doing, one of the elite shooters in the country, he has been dynamite. He's on NBA radars now. He's been labeled the sixth best six man in the country by John Rothstein. Does Jackson Robinson need to start for BYU basketball, or are you cool leaving him in the scenario where he is coming off the bench? I mean, everybody wants to feel like, hey, I'm a starter. I, I, I asked Mark Pope this question specifically before the game uh, on Wednesday when we were at shoot around. And he's like, you know, Jackson's been unbelievable. He says, if inside he's thinking, why am I not starting? He hasn't, he hasn't voiced it because his mentality this entire offseason has been, I'm going to get better. I'm going to understand what my role is. I'm going to figure out where my shots come in this offense. I'm going to play nails defense. I'm going to help in any way that I can um, to be a great teammate. And he says, Jackson by nature is kind of a, a quiet guy. Um, he went out of his way to, to do things off the court with each of his teammates in the offseason so that he could have a better relationship with them and understand them better. All that stuff that he did off the court, I think, is what's paying off on the court. And now it just feels like it's out of his nature to even worry about whether he's starting or not because he's having such huge contributions. And it's, and it's more than just he's confident in himself. He feels the confidence of his teammates in him. Like, he knows they want him to shoot. Um, and so I don't think he's worried about it. And his production is so good off the bench and he's getting so much recognition. I just don't see it as a, as a problem. I, I heard you guys talking a little bit about what it would have helped in Utah if he started. I don't, I don't know. Jerem, you made a great point. When he comes into the game, the starters that are left in the game on the other team are a little bit gassed and he's fresh. So he can run them into the ground and he can, he's got much more bounce than they do. Yeah. If you're bringing in a, a, a backup, at the same time that he's coming in, that second group, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Houston and Baylor. He's the best player on the floor in the second group. And as you guys look at the, his numbers, um, it, it's worked out really well for him. The matchups that he's been getting are so good in that second group that he just comes in and immediately dominates and is playing with such good confidence. So I kind of like what they're doing with him. Um, and and, and I, I think the, the role that he's played has been fantastic. And everything that Mark has told me about his mentality in the offseason and where he is tells me that he's the kind of kid that's just going to go out and play right now and is just thriving with the trust that he has in himself and his teammates and the trust that he knows that his teammates have in him. It just hit me while we were talking, while you were talking right there, Blaine. Take, take the starter bench thing out of the conversation. He is the new Alex Barcelo in that, the perceived statistical damage goods, goods version of that player. 
two years elsewhere, Arizona, in this case, Texas A&M, Arkansas, comes here, skyrockets into a, a national uh, player that people are talking about. It has been one of the best stories for BYU. He's part of a big rotation, Blaine. Dawson Baker may play tomorrow. We'll see. At some point, Foose comes back. Jimmer said, hey, the rotation in conference probably needs to get trimmed down to eight. This is a BYU team that's very deep. The bench points are awesome, second in the country. How many is too many for BYU once you get those guys? Because you're sitting at 11 if you had those two to the nine right now. And that's without Marcus Adams Jr. Yeah, and it's, you know, maybe maybe Baylor or Kansas's rotation needs to get down to eight. I don't know if BYU's needs to get down to eight. I, I think BYU can play with nine or ten. And you're always going to figure out um, a spot. And it may mean that, hey, when Foose comes back, is Atiki going to get less minutes, especially with the way that uh, Khalifa is, is? Yeah, he is. He is going to get less minutes. But do we want Foose to come back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we absolutely do. <laughs> Let me tell you about Dawson Baker. Like after the San Diego State game, I had a chance to visit with with Dutch, with Brian Dutch or San Diego State's coach, who's been a friend of mine forever, right? And he's always really transparent and honest with me. And he said, man, this is the longest, most athletic team we faced in a long time for BYU. They're really, really skilled, and they can shoot it. And he goes, and, and Blaine, I got to tell you, we've played against Dawson Baker the last three years. He's the best shooter on this basketball team, and he hasn't even played yet. And I was like, really? And he goes, well, then. yeah. We threw everything at him we had, and we still couldn't stop him from scoring. And he goes, and his toughness is next level. And I was like, wow. That's that's an opposing coach that played against him three times. And so I didn't know that much about Dawson Baker, but when Dutch tells me that, I have really, really high hopes for Dawson. And the question with him is um, – how does the foot hold up? Because he's going to have limited minutes to start. And they have a very brief window now to decide whether or not they're going to redshirt him. So so this next week or so, or a couple of weeks, is going to be a, can he play on it? When he plays on it, does it swell up or does it not? Yeah. Because if he starts to get some refractory swelling and he starts to have problems with it, the best thing for Dawson Baker would be for them to redshirt him this year, bring him back with Colin Chandler and all this other talent next oh, year man. and let him have two years. And so – if he's completely healthy and the foot stays solid and he increases minutes over the next couple of games and his foot feels great, then, then you go ahead and play him because you could use him because this is a pretty special team. I also think they're going to be a pretty special team next year and even better, perhaps. And so, so that's what we're looking at with Dawson right now is whether or not it's late enough and the foot's not quite ready that, that you redshirt him or is it ready enough that you play him. And that's what we need to find out from Dawson in the next few games. I wish football had what or men's basketball had what football has. They have the four game thing. Then you can see the moment Dawson plays this year is used until after his career is over, he can apply for a medical retro and then maybe get one back. We wouldn't know for right. two years, Blaine. Yeah. Uh, or I guess I the know. end of next season. So we'll, right. we'll, we'll see on that, man. The NCAA should make it a 30% thing, right? Yes. I, I, they in should. all sports. Why Absolutely, is football the guys. exception here? Yeah, because it's especially for a case like his, right? Where you really don't know how it's going to be until he actually goes full speed in a game. And he feels pretty good. I asked him, I said, are you still shooting it? And, you know, he's kind of a humble kid. Um, but I talked to him for quite a while the other day on Saturday. And he goes, yeah, I'm still shooting. I go, are you shooting it great? And he almost doesn't even want to. He's like, yeah, I'm shooting it great. It's, so, it's, it's like when you ask someone whether they play the piano, Blaine, and they're like, yeah, I play a little. 
You're like, wait, yeah, you actually little. play a little like, or does that mean you play a lot? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I literally said that. I said, are you shooting it good? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm shooting it good. I go, are you shooting it great? And he just kind of paused because he's like, gosh, I don't want to toot my own horn. And then he looks at me and goes, yeah, I'm shooting it great. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. <laughs> Blaine Fowler is with us on BYU Sports Nation. BYU basketball begins the final of three non-conference games tomorrow against Georgia State. Then they'll host Bellarmine who uh, hails from North Carolina on December 22nd, then the Christmas break, and then they wrap things up with Wyoming coming to the Marriott Center on December 30th. So three games, Blaine, for BYU to take this runway and keep that momentum rolling into the Big 12. What can BYU accomplish in three games they're heavily favored in to adequately get ready for Cincinnati when Big 12 play begins in the new year? They, they just need to continue to add to their confidence is what they need to do. And, and maybe think about do they tweak the rotations in any way, shape, or form over these next few games? And think, but they're favored heavily in all these games. They're actually favored in the Cincinnati game, the conference opener as well. In fact, if you look at the ESPN metrics, they're favored in seven of their next nine games. Blaine, guys. they're only underdogs in six games, according to Ken Pomeroy, all season. Yeah, ba <laughs> Baylor and Houston in the next nine are the only two they're not they're not favored in, which is that that's phenomenal. Like, guys. Did we think they would be in this spot? Like no, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. Nobody did. But I had no idea that Noah Waterman was going to be this completely different human being. Yeah. Like on and off the court, he's phenomenal right now. And that Jackson Robinson was going to make this gigantic transition in confidence because he always had this skill. And that Richie Saunders was going to be. We haven't even talked about him. His contributions off the bench in every aspect of the game, the way he's defending and rebounding and bringing energy. And you know what? He's nine point, whatever again, like he's almost a 10 point score off the bench. It's they, they have improved so much from last year, last year against teams that were lesser, they kind of play down to the level. They're just killing people that aren't as good as them. Um, it has been really, really impressive. And I feel like it carries over. So they just need to keep the momentum they need to see if Dawson Baker can play and be a big part of this. They need to try to get slowly get Foose healthy and have him ready because they need him for Big 12 because there's so many good bigs. And that's all they need to need to do. I, I would have been happy with them having lost four games at this point. Um, where they're at is phenomenal, and we all need to just wrap our heads around it and be grateful that we've been able to watch this up to this point because this has been pretty fun. Let's talk about your football transfer uh, portal priorities. Uh, where should BYU be uh, investing and looking the most as we hope to see some commitments and signings over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I, I think to me, number one priority is, you know, how do you beef up the defensive front? Um, and especially inside, the, the nose and the tackle. Um, for Jay's defense to be great, you have to have some guys, I call them block eaters, yep. where it's just like, in the game plan, the offense corner is like, listen, guys, we need to double team these two guys. And not only do we need to double team, we kind of need to stay with that double team and not combo block to the linebackers. And Jay's defense, the middle inside backers lead the team in tackles every year, whether it was at Utah Weaver, because they never get blocked. And that takes great guys inside. So I would like to see him pick up one, two, three guys at those positions that can come in and then immediately just be big and physical and nasty and cause problems. That That's the one priority. I think they need a little depth at linebacker. Offensively, can you ever have too many offensive linemen? No. Right? So if there's a really good offensive lineman in the portal that has multiple years, 
Uh, you know, I, I would say there, I think they could use another tight end. And if there's a legit big time quarterback out there, then of course you go there. Um, and, and now with Aiden's announcement, like, I think you can be selective with, with the, the quarterback position and the running back position, but if there's a really good high level running back that also has multiple years, um, I, I think you go ahead and pull the trigger on that. So it depends on what's available out there. I'm I'm kind of over the one and done guys, um, especially tough. at the quarterback yeah. position. Uh, yeah, and so because I think it's just too hard to assimilate into, um, and and to be good. Uh, like I, I was watching film the other day of Etn, and I just noted when he knew what he was doing, like okay, I'm supposed to down block here, and this is my guy. He destroyed people. But there were so many times last year, and you guys just documented the whole offensive line thing, and I think that all of what you guys just talked about was a big part of that. But when he was confused, um, it looked like he was just standing around, right? And like it made him look like physically he wasn't good. I'm really excited to, you know, year two for a guy like that, it makes a huge difference. And if you have a year three, that makes even a bigger difference. So I really hope, well, I know they are. BYU is prioritizing transfer kids that have multiple years. And sure. unless somebody is a unbelievably special player, um, you, you don't take one-year transfers if you can avoid it. Great stuff, Blaine. We appreciate your analysis. The dual, the dual threat analyst, Uncle B, Blaine Fowler on BYU Sports Nation. Look forward to seeing you for a fun Saturday tomorrow. We're, we're all together all day. See you guys tomorrow. <laughs> you got it. You know, I love that he, he talked about the, account, the accountability factor. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know much about T.J. Woods, and that's the name that's been circulating. We expect it to go. But his voice is deep enough. Okay, as we've so, so, so the voice is there. <laughs> is he the accountability coach? I hope so, because BYU's offensive staff needs it. Absolutely. They, Absolutely. They that, need it. Every given group needs that, right? Women's basketball is 8-2. and two. Speaking of accountability, they've been pretty good so far. They host Idaho State tomorrow for Eastern time. Blaine and Spence on the call on Big 12 Now on ESPN+. And Shep on BYU Radio. All right, where are my blue goggles? Because I need to wear them so that I can ask this question. Is BYU seriously a favorite to win the national championship? You won't believe the stat we're about to show you that has BYU, yeah, as a potential favorite to win it all. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media for content throughout the day on Facebook, X, Instagram, YouTube, and... Welcome back. Happy Friday. I am Spencer. He is Jerem. Let's roll out a lengthy edition of Friday Headlines. Number 18 men's basketball seeks win number 10 tomorrow with Georgia State. Cougars are up to number 6 in Ken Palm pregame tomorrow, 8 Eastern on BYU TV and BYU Radio. On the path to 12-1 and in non-conference, some football news. BYU offensive lineman Connor Pay who I think is the most underappreciated player on the roster, announced on social media yesterday he's returning to the Cougars for another season. Huge boost for the offensive line. Pay has played in 42 games in his BYU career, starting in 32. BYU offensive tackle Kingsley Suamataia, number 30 on the ESPN NFL draft expert Jordan Reed's big board for the 2024 NFL Draft. Kingsley is his number seven offensive tackle. So again, late first round, early second round, maybe he slides to the later part of the second round, but it feels like he'll be a, at least a second round guy. Let's go. 
Punter Ryan Rico, named a second-team All-American by ESPN, finished second in the country in average, third in total punts and punting yards. Defensive end Tyler Batty, named to PFF's All-Big 12 defensive team, after 57 tackles, 9 TFLs, and 5.5 and sacks last season. On to Cougars in the NFL, part one. Michael Davis had six tackles, a tackle for loss, two pass breakups, and a game the Chargers will want to forget <laughs> forever. It was so bad. They were down 63-7 to and ended up losing 63-21 to the Las Vegas Raiders. Hey, nice finish, you know. Nightmare in Las Vegas. Zach Wilson and the New York Jets take on Chris Brooks and the Miami Dolphins. Can Zach do it again? Jaron Hall was named the backup quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. He'll be uh, behind Nick Mullins, who gets the start. Kyrus Tonga, his teammate, and those Vikes take on the Cincinnati Bengals. Puka Nakua and the LA Rams host Dax Milne and the Commanders. We're going to interview Puka this weekend. We'll be at the game. Fred Warner and the 49ers play the Arizona Cardinals. I would like to go. That'd be fun. Uh, Tyler Algier and the Falcons play at the Panthers. Taysom Hill, Jamal Williams, Daniel Sorensen and the Saints play the Giants. Kyle Van Noy and the Ravens play the Jaguars. Blake Freeland and the Colts play the Stillers. Yes. Tony Takitaki and the Browns host the Dub Bears. And Zane Anderson and the Packers play the Bucks. BYU women's basketball trying to pick up a third straight win tomorrow when they host Idaho State for Eastern to Mountain. Live on Big 12 now on ESPN+. You can also listen live on BYU Radio. The 8-2 Cougars, number 77 in the women's basketball net rankings. Idaho State, number 218 for a little context. Throughout net when these two get together. Freshman goalkeeper Lynette Hernez was named Freshman All-America by Top Drawer Soccer. Hernez had a 12-3-1 record as the number four BYU women's soccer team. Went all the way to the College Cup this year. Made the starter kind of midway through the year, did a really nice job. Yeah, how about her story? Uh, recent convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, serves a mission, big fan of the safety zone. <laughs> hey, who, who isn't? She is the safety zone for BYU Women's She soccer. is the safety zone, nice. You told me way too late, I could have used that against UNC. Gosh dang it. Next year, next year. I probably won't get one next year. Outside hitter Erin Livingston for BYU Women's Volleyball announcing that she's running it back. Yeah, baby. Also massive news for Heather Olmstead's team. Livingston led BYU with 446 kills this past season, nearing 1,300 career kills. Livingston honored as an ABCA honorable mention All-American for the second consecutive season earlier this week. Chris Watkins, former BYU women's soccer assistant for a long time, men's soccer head coach as well. He was at Gonzaga the last seven years. He's the new head coach for the women's soccer team at Boston College. Congratulations to Chris. And former BYU pitcher Ryan Brady, part of a trade from the Milwaukee Brewers to the Kansas City Royals. Those are today's headlines. Now some opinions in a Friday edition of The Whip. The Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. This is a doozy. College Basketball Report tweeted this yesterday. One of Purdue, Arizona, BYU, Houston, and Baylor will be crowned national champions <laughs> in April. Since the release of NET, every national champion was ranked in the top five on December 15th. These teams make up the current top five. Who has the best odds, they said. So this is the year, right, Spence? Light them up, Jerem. Let's go, baby. The blue goggles are on for blue this, baby. Tonight. Woo! Cougars going to the final four. We don't need a national title. We would take the final four. We would, we would take the sweet 16, Jerem. <laughs> we would take the, we'd take a first round win, you probably. Me? We Let's would go. take the sweet 16. Uh, pretty wild that that stat reigns supreme. If you're top five in net on That's December 15th, wild. one of those five teams has won okay. the national championship in that many consecutive years. All right, Brigham. Elite territory for BYU. Wow. Yeah, not ready to go national championship, but yeah. Jerem. Those 
a ridiculous lesson. I am ready to go that BYU is going to advance in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah, winning games is the goal. Yeah. All right, BYU women's basketball. Just You're right, these, these classes are ridiculous. We look, we look awesome. They took a picture with Jimmer Fredette at practice yesterday. Love that Jimmer I, was visiting. I know him, he's a friend from work. Lauren Gustin commented on the post and said, quote, had to use the eyes closed one, huh? In we, reference to her partially closed. We, we can't tell in this photo, Lauren. Jerem, did Lauren get jimmered? Yeah, she got jimmered. <laughs> <laughs> the Big 12 is the only conference that have a team finish in the top four of all sports at sponsors from the fall. BYU contributed in men's cross country and women's soccer. With the Cougars obviously the biggest add to the league. Obvi. I'm glad that you said, are, were they obviously the best ad? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Clearly the Dude, best. Dude, so ad. much riz by the Cougars uh, in the fall. And the women's sports in general. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Like, they're all ready to rock. They were ready to rock from the get go. You and I called the women's sports here at BYU. Ain't no two bigger fans. No, they they are absolutely ready. Come on now. Come on now. Okay, uh, check out this week's Deep Blue podcast with Jason Shepard as he talks with Cougar baseball coach and fellow Mapleton North State member Trent Pratt about playing in the minors, being named interim head coach in 2022, the importance of La Familia, and more. Up next, BYU golfer Anik Hutchkevich and her father bonded through the game of golf, but Anik used the game to overcome the early loss of her dad. Deep Blue is next, and an emotional one. This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. A Friday edition of BYU Sports Nation rolls on from Studio B, and it is now time to go deep blue as we feature Anik Hutchkovich of BYU Women's Golf and her family. Now, Anik's father and uh, her bonded over the game of golf. Fantastic opportunity to do so. And it's the passion for the game that brought them together and helped push her through when her father was no longer with her. This is Deep Blue. My dad is from Poland. He was born and raised there. My mom was born in Toronto, Canada. My parents met on tour for Cirque du Soleil, and my dad barely spoke any English, and my mom knew a little bit of Slovenian through her parents' roots. And then there was a show in Vegas called Mystere, and they both got called in to be the original cast. And so that's kind of how our family started. We always had family dinner together, which was, I feel like, so important to us as a family. My sister would be at ballet, I would be at golf, we'd all be at school, like my brother was younger. So it's like, it was like one part of our day that we could all kind of connect, communicate, and kind of just like, almost relax in a way over food. It's very heartwarming and I feel like it really showed how close we were as a family to be able to like, have time to sit together and enjoy each other's company. That's one thing I try to observe as a coach is, you know, how are you with your family? How do you treat your parents? Because most likely that's how you're gonna treat me. You could tell that they were close and, and that's what I really ex respected and admired about her and her family is just that relationship. The fact that her family was important to her and that she wanted them involved in this process, you know, showed a lot about how close they are and just, just their interactions too. I feel like my dad just always had such a passion for golf. I think that's really where they both like bonded and fell for their love for golf even more because he had his partner, Anique, and Anique had someone to, you know, look up to and have a coach for her. 
if you look through our phones or my phone, I coach videos me. She looks at my swing, I look at it, and then I send it to my dad. And sorry, it makes me emotional because I can't do that. Such a, I don't like strong person. You And then have them get cancer and someone that's healthy, it was just, it was really crazy. It wasn't really talked about much. It's not something she liked to talk about. Um, she got super emotional when we talked about it. And it was just like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, obviously that sucks. When you do chemo, I, I think cold really affects your nerves. So it's like really hard for you to walk. And so my dad wasn't able to walk, obviously, all 18 holes, but he was able to be there on my 18th hole and see me win regionals, which I mean, that kind of shows how tough he is as a man because like you're going through such a hard time and you're able to go support your kids like that. I think it's really special. There was so much uncertainty with everything. So I feel like it really brought us together and it really showed how, like it, we had that closeness before, but it really showed how important it was to all of us as a family once he was diagnosed. So I always wanted to play Riverside with my dad. When she asked, I knew what that would mean to her. It was almost as if we kind of knew in our heart that it'd be our last round. So I was like, of course, you know what I mean? And, and you know, take a cart, here's lunch, you know? I mean, I've played with my dad my whole life. And it was just like our thing together. Like we loved playing golf together. It was five years of doing chemo and fighting cancer. And he just had to get a that huge surgery of getting a colostomy bag. And he was able to sit in the cart and hit every shot. And he probably even shot in the 70s still. Like to the last second, he was an incredible athlete. I think after my dad passed away, she she really didn't want to continue with golfing because that was their thing. No way in the world am I going to like leave my mom, my brother, and my sister right now and go play golf. My coach is super understanding. She's like, you let me know what you want to do. I wanted to just give her options. You know, at the end of the day, like Tata, our dad did want her to continue with golf. And I think that he, of course, is proud forever, like for how far she got. I told her that like, if you're gonna do it, do it for yourself, but know that like Tata would want you to do it as well. And he's gonna be supporting you no matter what decision you make. I kind of came to a realization of, yeah, why am I not going back? Like, almost like, why am I being kind of selfish and being like, oh, I need time. Like, uh, no, like Tata, like in the nicest way, Tata wouldn't care. Like, you know, go play golf. That's that's what you committed to do for those five years. So like, why quit now, right? That was the day where I decided like, I'm going back and I'm gonna finish this year out and I'm gonna kind of make my dad proud and give him something to watch, you know, while he's up there and have him kind of support me one last time, but in a different way. I just admire her so much with the amount of strength that she's shown through all of this. Like, I have so much love for her and admiration, and I'm just so grateful that I have a little sister like that to look up to because she really means the absolute world to me. Her resilience, I mean, Anique is, has always been such a fighter throughout everything that she's been through. 
just always staying focused on what she needs to get done. No matter what's going on, she just wants to put her best foot forward in everything that she does and just keep getting better. She is our positive, bubbly energy, and she's our biggest cheerleader. She roots for everybody on the team, and she's vocal about it, and she lifts you up, and then on the course, I mean, she was awesome for us. I used to get extremely nervous off the first tee, and I used to have, like, a really bad anxiety on the course, and I almost feel like now I have, like, this peace where I know my dad is there. I know he's watching me. I know he's giving me the good bounces. I know whatever outcome there is, it's just like, I'm going to be happy about it because I'm playing golf and because I feel close to my dad. Oh, what a story. Jeez. That's, that's incredible. Um, when we first had the initial conversation with Anika about this story, it was too hard. Her dad was going through it. Understandably. That was two years ago. She has gone through a lot. Um, and to come back and see her resolve, because no one would blame her if she had stopped. No one would blame her. But she came back and played, and now she's at peace. Yeah. That is, that is an incredible transformation that she has gone through that hopefully we all can through the, the trials that we go through. The peace off the first tee. Mm. Like that, that is an unbelievable. <laughs> I don't have that peace on the first tee. <laughs> I am nervous as all get out. She, Amazing she is stuff. a baller, man. Hey, listen to this week's episode of Her Why, featuring Lauren McLean's conversation with women's tennis stars Emily Astle and Jackie Dunyon about their journeys to promo. A rise a shout-out to a couple of outstanding Cougars. After the break, this is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Our Friday question of the day is this. Does it matter if BYU basketball star Jackson Robinson starts? or continues to come off the bench. Our elite voice of the day presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated from Jake Clyde Johnson, who says, Jackson seems happy in his role and scouts are starting to take notice. Yeah. Yes. Play him starter minutes, but I love him off the bench personally. Keep it going. Keep it rolling. Today's Rise and Shout Out presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. Jalen Reyes, assistant for Nebraska, former Cougar player and assistant, playing for a national or coaching a national title game in women's volleyball Sunday in Nebraska, Texas. Go, Jalen. So glad Aaron Livingston's back for BYU. Our thanks to today's guest, Blaine Fowler. Sorry, Dennis. For Jeremiah Spencer, shout out to Rachel Newren. Go, Cougs. See you tomorrow.